If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. The first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. You know, it's kind of like one of those things like, oh, that kind of stuff doesn't happen here. Because, you know, like Amish people don't give in to like the vices of the English world. So it's almost like you wouldn't expect it to happen here. Welcome to the First Degree of the True Crime Podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Fanick. I'm sitting right next to Alexis Lingletter and Billy Jensen. We were recording it in person, and we never record our regular First Degree episodes in person anymore. We're usually doing it remote because we can do it at any time of the day, wherever we are. But we just happened to be together today, and it really threw you off, Alexis. Like well, You didn't know what we are doing. I was like, <laughs> who's starting this? Like, Whose episode is this? Uh, that being said, though, we used to do them in person, but we got used to it because of COVID. Yeah. And uh, we had to record Killing Time today, so it just panned out. It really panned out, and it feels nice to be next to you guys, but now I'm extra nervous about fucking it up. You shouldn't. We always fuck it up, and no one cares. I They they crucify us, but it hasn't really worked against us so yeah. far. We usually cut them all out, you know? Exactly, yeah. All right, well, let's jump right into the day, Billy, because there oh, is yeah. a day on here that we need to talk about. It's October 20th. There's a lot of days here. A lot of days. But uh, you know what? I'm going to throw out first. It's National Brandied Fruit Day. Oh, a day That's for worse than Alexis. candy yeah. fruit and <laughs> exactly. worse than gelatinous, worse than jammed yep. preserved I want, I, fruit. I wanted to throw that out there for Specialty. Alexis. Yes. Thank you. You're so kind. Yes. yes. But I also Thank you for wa- having my back. want to say that October 21st is uh, Hagfish Day. Do you know what a hagfish is? Mm, I can get the gist. Is it wearing a little babushka? <laughs> like a, is it wearing a little bonnet? Hagfish is an eel-like fish that uh, has no bones, jaws, or scales. And most people would agree they are quite ugly. So what oh is my it, God, what that's does it what have? Chick-a-day says. What does it have? I'm showing Alexis a picture. It has okay, feel, it, it looks like a human centipede worm. It, it looks like a an uncircumcised penis. Maybe it has feelings. It looks like a worm. Maybe, maybe it, it looks it... like a, a sea worm. But look at look at the texture. It literally looks like a dick, a flaccid penis. It also looks like a hairless cat. <laughs> like the same sort of crepey skin. Yeah, kind of crepey. Without So here's my theory on uh crepey skin. If you don't have a hair follicle, everyone's skin would look that wrinkly. Like I think hair follicles give some strength to skin. And uh, that is a hairless creature 
with a with a, a flexible skin. How do you not see this as more flaccid than I do? Oh no, it's it's uh and phallic. It's phallic, um, flaccidly phallic. But the purple, ah, uh, the rapture, the the, the swirl at the, the end. I think <laughs> the swirl. Yeah, at the Alexis, end. the rapture, the rapture of the tail <laughs> into itself. The swirl uh, that throws me off. I just really not the biblical rapture, William. Mm-hmm. I studied fringe religions, <laughs> Jensen. Um, the other kind of rapture of things. Um, I, if you're listening out there, I highly recommend googling hagfish so you can really get in on <laughs> yes. the joy that we are talking about. About. Mm, it's also it's also National Suspenders Day, okay. and just no, and then um, Office Chocolate Day, delicious. Mm. Yep, absolutely. Well, I guess that is enough of that. So let's turn down the lights and turn up the anxiety. Your anxiety, ooh, <laughs> because yes. this could be you. towns, despite their stature, possess tremendous intrigue. Maybe it's because there's something unnerving about everyone knowing everyone. So imagine being in a small town as a terrifying case is unfolding right before your eyes. Every day you scour the news to see if a case has been solved. You still go about your daily business. You go grocery shopping, you go to the gym, but you're always keeping an eye on those around you. Because if you're in a small town, it's possible one of these people are involved. But one day you wake up and you see the case is solved. And the suspect? It's someone you know. And your whole worldview comes crashing down around you. The small town you thought was safe is not so safe at all. Okay, so we're going to begin today's case on June 21st of 2020. It was just a little bit over a year ago. It'd been about three months since COVID was ruled as a national disaster and many states were mandating masks. As many as 26 million people had participated in Black Lives Matter protests over the murder of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and many others. Songs like Rain On Me by Lady Gaga and Ariana Grande and Blinding Lights by The Weeknd were playing on the radio and no movies were in theaters due to the pandemic. But people were binging old episodes of The Office on Netflix, and All Be Gone in the Dark was about to premiere its first episode on HBO. Shout out Billy Billy. Jensen. Who put that in the script? Weird. He didn't actually. It was not me. That was was (laughs) her. Shout out to a writer, Haley. Thank you. (laughs) The setting for today's case is Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, which is located around 70 miles west of Philadelphia. Now, it's made up of multiple towns with fun names like Bird in Hand and Intercourse. Mm. Which you I've can been buy to Intercourse, like, Pennsylvania before. Yes, yeah, so you can buy signs and everything like that. And I, like, I've been to Intercourse, Pennsylvania. It's oh a whole God. thing. I cannot believe and it's, that. it's mostly, it's like an Amish sort of tourist yeah, attraction. Yeah. Is Intercourse Amish? Yeah, the the Yes, the area is. I'm not sure where their name derives from. <laughs> yes. In the 1720s, the Amish fled religious persecution in Europe and settled in the area. 300 years later, the county remains the oldest and largest Amish community in the nation. And you would go there. I remember going there as a kid 
uh, in like eighth grade, I think, like we did a like a field trip there, okay. and, and like seeing all that stuff and going to a pretzel factory. That's what you do. Every year, more than eight million people travel to Lancaster County to see the simple Amish lifestyle and to view their devotion to the old ways in person. So our first degree for today's case is named Maddie. So she grew up in Lancaster County and still lives nearby. And Maddie's connection to today's case is one that's a tad more abstract than usual. More on that later, but for now, what you need to know is that Maddie's mother, Patricia Doyle, is a police detective sergeant in Chester County near Philadelphia, which is a 90-minute drive from Lancaster. Patricia works in the Special Victims Unit and is very good at her job. Just Google her. She's a total badass. Her extra insight into the world of crime and into the minds of criminals is what led Maddie to appreciate the true crime genre as a whole. And Maddie's mother, Patricia, was actually the one who first alerted Maddie to today's case. My mom and I would like talk on the phone. Uh, so she like called me and was like, did you hear about it? And I was like, no, I hadn't. So Patricia was referring to Linda Stoltzfus, and she was an 18-year-old Amish girl who went missing on June 21st of 2020. And according to initial reports, as far as anybody knew, Linda had gone missing after leaving her church off Stumptown Road in the town of Burdenhand. When church ended at noon, Linda told a woman named Lillian that she was going to walk home, change her clothes, and then go to youth group. But Linda never made it home. And that meant that she must have disappeared somewhere along her one-mile walk. When the news of Linda's disappearance broke, those following the case theorized about where Linda could be. And some speculated as to whether her Amish faith could be playing a role in her sudden absence. When Maddie first heard about everything, she also considered this possibility. I was like, maybe she got tired of whatever was happening, or maybe, God forbid, there was like some kind of abuse going on. And maybe she just left and kind of that that sounds kind of morbid that like that's where my mind goes automatically. And Maddie's detective mom, Patricia, had a similar thought. She was like, I bet you, you know, maybe something was going on and she wanted to leave or maybe she had like a little boyfriend that she met up with. So it's no surprise that people wondered if Linda was voluntarily missing. And some outsiders assume that those in the Amish community are unhappy and want to escape the confines of their strict faith. So in fact, the Amish recognize this possibility and they offer teenagers the chance to experience the English or non-Amish world and then decide if they want to stay in the Amish community. It's this rite of passage and it's called Rumspringa, which, quote, gives Amish teens the chance to explore the usually forbidden modern world before deciding whether they will forever commit themselves to the Amish way of life. Now, you may have heard about Rumspringa before. It's often portrayed in TV and movies as a time where Amish teens party, they do drugs, they have sex, etc. But that's not the norm. They usually do things like go to the movies or take driving lessons. The age in which Rumspringa begins varies based on the area. But it usually starts between 14 and 16 and ends when the teen decides either to be baptized in the church like sort of like I'm going to stay in here or going to leave the community. And since Linda was around the age for Rumspringa, some thought maybe she decided to just leave the faith and go join the English world. Right. But that theory was quickly ruled out after detectives spoke with Linda's friends. And they'd found that not only was Linda past the age of Rumspringa, 
but she was also very happy and content with the Amish lifestyle. She had no desire to leave. So detectives were really running out of theories, and they were starting to worry. Linda may have been legally, quote-unquote, an adult, but being 18 years old in the Amish faith is so much different than being 18 outside of it. Sparky Grace, an Englishman renting a unit out on the Stoltzfus family property, gave the world some insight into just how different Linda was from the, quote-unquote, typical non-Amish girls her age. So he wrote on Facebook, quote, while considered a woman at 18, it was as if her shy, sensitive nature made her more like 14. She wasn't astute to the ways of the world. So in other words, Linda didn't know the horrors that exist beyond the simple Amish life, and she didn't know how evil people could be. All this being said, detectives had to start thinking about the possibility that Linda didn't leave on her own accord. But if Linda wasn't voluntarily missing... What exactly happened to her? So, you guys know the drill. In order to answer that question, we've got to go all the way back to the beginning. So, at the time of her disappearance, Linda lived in burden hand with her parents and her seven siblings. She had a job in the Amish community and volunteered as a tutor for Amish children with learning disabilities. She was known for being caring, loving, and shy. And every other Sunday, Linda and her family attended church. Now, in the Amish faith, church service is not held in a church or a temple or community building. Instead, it's held in homes and barns, and the locations rotate. Maddie recalls what it's like for a non-Amish person on Sundays. If I was working on Sundays, I had to leave like an extra 15 minutes early because they're horse and buggies out like galore like you go around one and there's like three more in the way and on the other side of the road there's a whole line of cars waiting to pass another buggy june 21st 2020 was supposed to be like an ordinary church day linda and her family attended a service in burden hand when it was over at noon linda told a woman named lillian that she was going to walk a mile home and change her clothes Then she was going to walk around five miles to youth group, which started at 2 p.m. in the town of Leola. So five miles does seem like a long distance, but let's be honest, it's probably faster than being stuck in traffic, like buggy traffic, because we've heard based on what Maddie has said that like the buggy traffic is real. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like if you're not willing to drive a car, like these are sort of your options. Linda always walked barefoot, so she always took off her stockings. And she would knot them up so they would be easier to carry and they wouldn't get dirty. So she took her stockings off and started this walk between 12.30 p.m. and 1 p.m. This is the last time anyone ever saw Linda alive. At 2.33 a.m. on what was now June 22nd, Linda's father, Lloyd, notified the police to report his daughter missing. Lloyd told them that Linda never made it home after youth group, which ended at 11 p.m. He checked her bedroom, and he saw that her formal church clothing, which was a tan dress and white apron, weren't in there. And this led Lloyd and the police to believe that Linda never made it home. Now, Linda's disappearance immediately made national news. And the sad reality is is that there are news reports all the time of young women disappearing. But you rarely, if ever, hear about it happening to the Amish. This layer of the story was enough to make Linda's disappearance gain national attention. And the media interest was not surprising considering the public's continued fascination with the Amish community in general. People are just like very, very fascinated with the Amish community. 
Well, I think like what it does is like you think of like the Amish community as like so safe and it's such a large community too. And like, you know, they're all, you know, work together, live together, worship together. So I think, but it's also this idea of like, you know, it's kind of like one of those things like, oh, that kind of stuff doesn't happen here because, you know, like Amish people don't give in to like the vices of the English world. So it's almost like you wouldn't expect it to happen here. And I can't believe this would happen to someone that's like a part of such a small community. Totally. And the fact that Linda was Amish and missing wasn't only shocking to outsiders. It was shocking within Lancaster County as well. Like, I mean, I think locally this doesn't happen very much. So when Linda didn't immediately come home, they were sure something bad had happened to her, which was terrifying to even consider because this doesn't really happen in that community. I mean, they're very insular and it's a safe community. So it's very shocking when someone from this community goes missing. So the case garnered even more attention when authorities released a missing persons bulletin and this featured a picture of what Linda would look like in street clothes. And this photo really confused non-locals, and they really led them to believe that this photo was real. And they wrote off Linda's disappearance as a typical teenager that was just running away. Okay, so I am looking at the photos back to back, and this is fascinating. Because if you're looking at Linda in the context of, of being an Amish woman, yeah, she looks Amish. And then if you click on her in in the, like, I don't want to call it a hyper representation what do they call it like no they they photoshopped regular clothes on her like a hoodie yeah it is weird it's basically yeah it's it's a a hoodie and it's a striped shirt and a green hoodie over it like a zip up yeah but but this is what's so interesting to me is it's not even a like a age progression type of a photo obviously they literally just took her face and photoshopped it onto a body with a hoodie on well here's what i like about it i like that they're like hey it's not age progression because it's in real time. That being said, they're expecting, I think, because the media uh, attention was like Amish girl missing. Yeah. So they wanted to make sure it's like, hey, she could have def- deflected. She could have left. Yeah. And it's like she could be just in regular person's clothes. And they they adhered to that in yeah. that way. That being said, she if you see her in this hyperimposed image of her in regular clothes, she looks like everyone you know yeah yeah she just looks like a normal she's like a beautiful regular teen i think this was like i think they were clinging to hope like i think they were hoping this was what happened i think they were hoping she actually left the faith because because that was the, the best outcome sure so the amish and the english typically live completely separate lives but for linda they converged and local residents and amish community members would meet up daily at the stoltfus's property and they would put together their search plan and they even took shifts sitting next to the Amish communal phone in case Linda called. The group searched for Linda from sunup to sundown, and they left no stone unturned. And real quick, I want to mention that I think this is super interesting because there usually is such a divide between these two communities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think when someone's missing, I think that resonates in such a deep way. It is a great... like pain and fear and sadness is such a great equalizer. It brings communities together. And I think in this case, that is what happened. When Linda was reported missing, like it, I remember driving by and there was just this field that was just full of people, full of Amish people, full of English people. And it turns out that it was like a search team, like that was like going out to look for Linda. They literally combed through like every single part of Lancaster County and there's this one part, the Welsh mountains where it's, that's like very vast. And like, 
not easy terrain either. And these people, like these Amish people that, you know, didn't even know Linda or her family were out there for hours and hours, days on end, like looking for this girl. So because of their faith, Linda's immediate family did not participate in on-camera interviews. They never would go on camera. That's like very against like what they would do. So there's no like media interviews of them or them like pleading for her. Like instead, how it kind of manifested was you could not go anywhere in Lancaster County without seeing her missing poster. Like that's sort of how they kind of got the word out, not necessarily like through the media. Meanwhile, police were also conducting their own searches with dogs, planes, sonar, scuba drivers, and more. Local detectives worked with the FBI to try to figure out what happened to Linda. And they asked the public for information from anybody who was in the area around the time that she went missing. And according to authorities, she left her church between 12.30 p.m. and 1 o'clock p.m. And she would have walked southwest down Stumptown Road for a half mile, turned left onto Beachdale Road, and walked another half mile before she made it home. And the 20-minute walk would have been on paved two-lane roads in an area that is mostly farmland, with a few houses sprinkled along the way. Eventually, the media coverage Linda's case had received began to pay off. When multiple witnesses contacted detectives about what they had seen in the area on the afternoon that Linda vanished. And they all reported seeing the same thing. There was a man with dark hair, possibly Hispanic, driving a red sedan. So one of those people who came forward was a man named Isaac. So Isaac lived in the 2700 block of Stumptown Road. And he'd been sitting on his front porch between 12.30 p.m. and 12.45 p.m. when he saw a red sedan traveling east. And it was coming from the direction of Linda's church. So this car ultimately turned around, paused for a minute, and then drove past Isaac's house again. Isaac described the driver as a white or Hispanic male with dark hair, and there was only one person in the car. So another set of witnesses were a married couple named Sarah and Isaac, and this is not the same Isaac as the first witness, a completely different guy. Turns out Isaac is a very common, special name, important name in that community. Yeah, Many people have it. So they were walking on Amish Road in the town of Gap around 1.30 p.m. when a red sedan passed them. The driver was a white male with dark hair and a dark beard and mustache. They reported seeing an Amish woman wearing a white apron and a black head covering in the passenger seat of the car. And this understandably caught the attention of these witnesses because one, Amish women in the area do not wear black head coverings. And two, they don't sit in the front passenger seat of a car while wearing church clothing. So these are two things that a normal person would never notice. So Sarah said that there was something else off about the situation. The woman in the passenger seat didn't wave back at her when she and Isaac waved at her first. And that is tradition in the Amish community. Mm, Not ideal. So then on July 8th, more than two weeks after Linda mysteriously disappeared. And we have to realize like... I think people expected a quick resolution, but that's not what happened. So two weeks later, we're talking about detectives finally caught a much needed break in this case. So law enforcement found ring doorbell footage from the 500 block of Beachdale Road, which is right by the Stoltzfus property. So a detective watched the footage and they could see Linda walking. It's probably fucking chilling to watch, by the way. Like, yeah. Anyone who you presume to be missing yeah. or to, to see them 
like walking oh in, in yeah. footage. It's it's, yeah, terrifying. it's always so spooky. Spooky and just scary. You know, you don't want to see the horrible thing and you're hoping it'll solve it. It's a whole nightmare. So they see Linda walking and then they observed a red sedan approach Linda, pull up beside her. And it was a 2005-2010 Kia Rio traveling south on Beachdale. And this vehicle was coming from the area of Stumptown Road. So now law enforcement has some more specifics on this car. But now what they need is a driver. So luckily for them, when you're in a small town, it's a lot easier to find who drives what. So they had the upper hand. And after doing some digging, detectives found out that the car belonged to a 34-year-old man from the nearby town of Paradise, Pennsylvania. And what happened next in their quest to find Linda Stoltzfus could easily, easily be ripped out from an episode of CSI. When I was growing up, I took French in high school, but I could never get the language to stick. I wanted to be fluent so bad, but it never happened. I just couldn't focus and I couldn't practice enough and it didn't work. But thankfully, there's Rosetta Stone, which is the most trusted language learning program. And it's available on desktop or it can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone is different. It immerses you in so many ways. And with its intuitive process, you can pick up any language naturally, first with words, then phrases, and then sentences. And before you know it, boom, conversations. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first-degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com first today. Okay, so it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree50 and use code degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code degree50 at factorymeals.com slash degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. It's almost summer and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on therealreal.com. The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Stodd, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 
10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. The detectives had finally received a break in the case of missing Linda Stoltzfus. Through ring doorbell footage and eyewitness statements, they knew that a red Kia with an Amish girl in the passenger seat had been seen in the area. And they also knew that the owner of that car was a 34-year-old man from Paradise. Detectives needed to have a chat with the owner of this Kia. So on July 9th, they went to his apartment and immediately noticed said red Kia in the parking lot, in his designated parking space. So they made contact with them. And he was a Hispanic male with dark hair, a mustache, and a beard. He was a perfect match to this description given by multiple witnesses. So when asked, the man denied knowing Linda or knowing anything about her disappearance. But according to him, he wasn't even in the area of Beachdale or Stumptown Road on June 21st. They weren't buying this guy's story for a second because they had seen this car and he also matched a description, but they actually needed proof. Like how can they actually prove he's lying? I believe that the, what happened was is that the FBI like pinged his phone and they found that he was lying and that he was in the area around the time. And I think that's sort of like what led them down the path to look into him more and dig into him more. So Maddie is right. Hoping the ring doorbell footage held more answers, detectives went back to it and the footage was slowed down, enlarged, and enhanced by the FBI. And this time, detectives noticed way more details than before. At 12.36 p.m., the red Kia could be seen traveling south on Beachdale before it pulled off onto the west side of the road, out of camera's view. At 12.40, Linda was seen walking south on Beachdale, and then a second person entered the camera's view, coming from the area where the car was parked. At 12.41, the person crossed the road on foot and headed toward Linda. The person put something over Linda's head, then walked her back to where the car was parked. 23 seconds later, the car traveled south on Beachdale as it passed in front of the ring doorbell. Jesus fucking Christ, that is terrifying footage to even imagine seeing. I like, cannot. if someone's putting, I, I like how they're like, they're softening the language, like a black cover. It's like that yeah. woman was bagged yeah. on her head. I mean, yeah. it is every person's worst fucking nightmare. It's the, it's the being absolutely abducted. worst nightmare. And when you, when you think about like videos that we've seen before, I think about Hannah Graham in Charlottesville with uh, Jesse Matthew. And I've uh-huh. never seen that where she's obviously. Well, we had Jesse, Ma- we, we covered this right. with yeah, a, yeah. from a different perspective, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Where, where, where she's walking down the street and she is a little bit tipsy. And then a guy sees her and then turns around and is following her. And then we watch him follow her. This adds the, the added like horror of actually seeing her getting the, yeah. the bag awful. over her head. It's so awful. So after seeing the enhanced video, detectives were now convinced, obviously, that Linda had been abducted. And the person who abducted her had to be the man with the red Kia sedan 
who they'd already questioned. So at this point, detectives caught another break. So on June 23rd, the trooper responded to a report of suspicious vehicle activity at a rural business. Listen, we know you guys don't really pay attention to addresses, but it's important for the factual relevance. 3104 Harvest Drive is actually where this business was. So this caller was a man named Jonathan, who was the owner of this business. And he told the trooper that around 5 p.m. he saw a red Kia back into the space at the rear of this building. Where this business was, it was next to some railroad tracks, and it ran along the south side of the building. And the only person in the car was the driver. And the driver, when asked, was described as a dark-skinned man with some facial hair. So after getting out of the car, the driver walked around the building and looked into windows and doors. Then he got back into his car and left. But he returned later, and then he backed into the same spot he'd been parked in before. Highly suspicious indeed. So unfortunately, the car left shortly before the trooper had arrived. But luckily, the caller, Jonathan, wrote down the license plate number and had made this call. And wouldn't you know it, the number matched the license plate number seen in the June 21st ring doorbell footage. So detectives decided that they needed to check out this business where the car was spotted. So on July 10th, a forensic team searched near where the red Kia had been parked, which was a wooded area near the railroad tracks. And buried six to eight inches underground, the team found a white bra and a pair of stockings. So this is obviously a super ominous development because the hope up to this point, of course, is that they're going to locate Linda and she would just be unscathed and okay. And when these items were shown to Linda's family, they said that they looked like something that she wore. The stockings were knotted together, which was something that Linda did when she was going to walk barefoot, like she did on June 21st. So Linda's belongings were sent off for DNA testing. And while they were waiting for the DNA results, detectives looked into the driver of that red Kia's cell phone records. And with these records, they were able to prove that their main suspect had actually been in the area where the bra and the stockings were found at least five more times over the course of the next six days. Yikes. Yeah. It was it's ob- not looking good. Yeah. It, it was it's obvious bad. that this driver kept going back. And back and back and back and back to revisit this scene. But why? That's an excellent question. So test results eventually came back from Linda's clothes. And it turns out that the driver's DNA was found on her buried stockings. So detectives, as far as they were concerned, had their man. They had locked in on him. But here's the thing. This is all going on behind the scenes. Because despite Linda's case getting incredible media coverage... They kept their shit very buttoned up and very confidential from the public. And this, from a storytelling perspective, is why we haven't revealed the name of our suspect just yet. Because at this point, we're oblivious. And when I say we, like the people watching the story as it unfolds, as to who it is. But the truth is, law enforcement was closing in on this suspect, but they weren't ready to share his name just yet. So because authorities were keeping quiet on their investigation, the media really didn't have anything to report on. Pretty much the only thing that people knew was that Linda disappeared on her way home from church. That was it. 
and her first degree Maddie would relentlessly search for updates through the media. Her detective mom, Patricia, also sought out info about the case, but she had a little bit of an upper hand and did this through her contacts and colleagues at the Lancaster County Police Department. Then, this mother and daughter would connect and swap their own theories with each other. It was interesting, like, watching a case that I was interested in and following, like, unfold and getting, like, my mom's perspective on it. She has friends in Lancaster County, so she was kind of, like, going, like, armchair detective on this whole thing. Um, so it was just interesting, like, watching her with it and hearing her thoughts. Even though Maddie and Patricia were following what little developments there were in Linda's disappearance, they really felt detached from the case. Yes, they were all from the same small town. And yes, they had a unique insight into that Amish community, but neither of them actually knew Linda. They didn't have a connection to the case, at least not yet. And even that being said, I want to add something real quick. Everyone who calls in, and I appreciate this about everyone, they're always trying to downplay their connection to the case. They're always like, I don't want to pretend I was their best friend. I don't want to pretend I was their this. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think what's super important to acknowledge is that like, Any connection to something, if it resonates to some degree, is important. Yeah. And I think that is our, that's, Mm -hmm. that's important to us because like we're trying to take even the most abstract connections to cases and find meaning in it. Yeah. So like I appreciate that about you, Maddie. She tried to make this very clear to me. She was like, you know, I wasn't that connected, but like you actually were. Like she was very dialed into the Amish community. Her mom is a police officer. Everyone's insecure about, making themselves seem closer to a case than they actually are. But you need to like dispel that insecurity because it has a fucking impact. It was just kind of like, oh man, like, you know, here's someone that was like in a community and like where she got kidnapped from, like is a road that I drive on all the time. So it's like hard not to think about like, oh my gosh, like when you're driving down that road, like she got snatched right off this road. So then on July 11th, the police finally delivered a long awaited update in this case. To the shock of the community at large, police had made an arrest. So in addition to delivering the news of having a suspect in custody, they also confirmed that Linda had in fact been abducted. You remember, like, people knew nothing at this point. People really thought, like, anything could have happened. So in this press conference, they actually confirmed that there was malicious intent here. And in addition to that, they added that they believed that she was met with harm after she was taken. So Lancaster County locals, including Maddie and Patricia, were shocked, especially to hear that someone had been arrested for Linda's disappearance. And when the suspect's name was released, Maddie and Patricia became more unnerved and simultaneously invested in this case than ever. Why might you ask? Well, because they had a connection to him. So in that moment, it was like, oh, shit, like, we kind of know who this person is. And like, this case is like a lot closer to home than we thought. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. 
Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley, in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. On July 11th, it came as a surprise to a lot of people that an arrest had been made in connection to Linda's disappearance. And no one knew authorities determined that Linda had been kidnapped, let alone that they tracked down the person responsible. And the name of the man that they arrested was 34-year-old Justo Smoker. When, as soon as we found out who the person was, like the person that they thought kidnapped Linda Stoltzfus, my mom goes, we know his brother. Uh, I was like, what are you talking about? And that's the thing about small towns. Everyone knows everyone. We countered his brother at our community gym and the only reason it got brought up was because my mom came over to me and she goes, you see that guy over there? And I was like, yeah. She was like, don't talk to him. I was like, why? She's like, he's jailhouse jacked. I think he did time in state prison. I've seen enough people that come out of state prison that I think that guy was in state prison. And she looked at like the sign-in sheet and did her typical looking people up. And she was like, oh, yeah, he has a brother named Yusto Smoker. And him and Victor were arrested for holding up that turkey hill. And I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that story. Okay, lots to unpack here. So Maddie and her mom worked out at the same gym as Victor Smoker, who is the brother of the suspect in Linda's disappearance. Once Maddie's mom saw the name on the sign-in sheet, she recognized it because Justo and his brother Victor had been arrested for the armed robbery of a Turkey Hill store. Maddie and Justo had gone to the same school, so she was familiar with the story and heard about it through that rumor mill. He graduated from the same high school that I went to. It's such a small high school where I went. Like, my graduating class, I think, had, like, 100 kids in it. So not, like, super small, but, like, smaller schools in the area. I wasn't in school at the same time as him, I did know about him later down the line. So here's what else we know about Justo Smoker. As we said, he was a 34-year-old man when he was arrested in relation to Linda's disappearance. As a young boy, Justo and his brother Victor were adopted from Costa Rica by a Mennonite family in Lancaster. And once they were settled in America, the brothers held on to their first names, but their last names were changed to Smoker to match their adopted family. Justo was known in the area for being a great wrestler. He was also known for a string of burglaries he committed with his brother Victor. In August of 2006, Justo and Victor used BB guns to rob four businesses. And they were arrested, they were prosecuted, and they were sentenced to 12.5 to 30 years in prison. When the judge sentenced Justo for these burglaries, he said he could have sentenced him to life, but he decided to give him a shorter sentence, one that, quote, ensures society is protected, but that you could still come out and lead a reasonable life. So Victor was released in 2016. Justo was eventually released in February of 2019. They were both adopted, you know, from a foreign country, So, you know, they only had each other really when they were kids. 
all their crimes that they committed were always together. I think he also got in like some trouble in prison and got like his sentence extended. But like as soon as they found out about Yesto, my mom was like, I bet you the brother was in on it. It came out later on that apparently the day that Linda was kidnapped, that Yesto had called Victor multiple times. So as Maddie mentioned, the brothers committed their crimes together for the most part. So did that mean that Victor played a part in Linda's abduction? I think that is a big question that still sort of looms. So many locals believed, yeah, and had these same questions. So these rumors only got hotter when police announced that after Linda was abducted, Justo had texted and called Victor repeatedly. As of right now, it looks like Victor didn't have any involvement. That being said, there was definitely the cloud of suspicion hovering over him after this happened. And it's actually funny because the, another connection to Victor, a friend of my sister, like matched with him on Tinder. She didn't realize who it was until after they had already matched. And she was like talking to him and was saying, like, I have to ask, like, I'm sorry, but like, did you have anything to do with it? Because I guess he was kind of talking about how like his dating life, like saying that like he's having trouble dating because of his brother and that like everyone associates him with Yasto and thinks that he had something to do with it. All right. So screw both of these brothers. Fuck them. But we're going to get back to the story about Justo and what happened to Linda. So through the many aspects of their investigation, the detectives were able to figure out bits and pieces of what Justo did before and after Linda was abducted, and they landed on a prevailing theory of how they believe things unfolded. So apparently, it all started on June 20th, the day before Linda was abducted. So this is going to be a really disturbing thing for you guys to hear because it was very deliberate, so just bracing you for that. The day before Linda was abducted, Justo purchased two beers along with $17 worth of alcohol from a local store. Then three hours later, he made a second purchase. He buys two pairs of reusable long cuff latex gloves. And what he does next is unfathomable. Justo essentially set off to go hunting for Amish girls walking alone. Like a predator. Yeah, it's bad because... 8 p.m. that same day, a young girl named Anna and her female youth group friends were walking down a road when a red sedan slowly crept past them before turning around and slowly passing them again in the other direction. This car doubled back three different times. That means going back and forth three different times. So this girl, Anna, was so alarmed and so scared that by the time the car passed the third time, She looked closely at the driver so she could make an identification had she ever needed to. This is terrifying. It's because something about the way this car and driver seemed to be literally prowling set off alarm bells for her. Shortly after stalking Anna and her friends, Justo gave up on this group of girls and he drives to a different area. Lydia and Rebecca were walking down the street when a red car passed them slowly. And as the car passed, the driver looked at the girls in the mirror. And they were so freaked out about this that they cut across a farm lane and watched as the car stopped at an intersection in the wrong lane and turned its flashers on. The car remained there for several minutes before ultimately taking off. Something I want to point out real quick before we continue is like Justo is undoubtedly a monster and a fucking loser. But you know what he's not? He's not a quitter. 
Because he keeps fucking going. Yeah, because he wasn't done yet. 30 minutes to an hour later, Katie was walking in the same area as Lydia and Rebecca when a red car passed her four times, slowly. Katie was so panic-stricken that she walked to some nearby fishermen and then to a nearby barn to get out of sight of the car. But the car follows her and pulled over into the field and waited just north of the barn that Katie was in. But luckily, she was able to escape, and Justo actually called it quits for the night. Dude, it's fascinating. You hardly ever see people like overtly hunting in this way. And the fact that they were able to unearth evidence of this yeah. is... Yeah. Like the hunting but, but, aspect is terrifying. But, but here's the thing. It's like they are hunting. The fact that everybody in this community was so uh, uh, observant because they are hunting. Like Jesse Matthew was hunting people. He was waiting for girls to come out of bars and mm-hmm. be drunk. He was, he was hunting. But this guy was obviously, he was in a car. He was going back and forth. And everybody was looking at him saying, that looks wrong. Yeah. Yeah. It's awful. So the next day, June 21st, Justo purchased disposable gloves, three pairs of shoelaces, two pairs of bootlaces, and two beers from a store. 40 minutes later, he grabbed Linda and forced her into his car. Then he drove Linda to the eastern side of Lancaster County, to a remote area within the Welsh Mountains, which is made up of more than 1,000 acres of dense wooded area. At 2.23 p.m., he went to 3104 Harvest Drive. For reference, this is exactly where her stockings and bra were found, buried behind this business. So an hour later, Justo was seen cleaning the inside of his car in a parking lot outside his apartment. So it doesn't get any more suspicious and uh, incriminating than this, frankly. But... While all this is happening, the detective still had the most important question to answer. Where the hell was Linda? Where was Linda? The concern, of course, was that Justo left Linda in the Welsh Mountains area, and this was a massive potential search area. And due to the characteristics of the case, law enforcement presumed Linda to be dead, despite not having Linda's remains, so they charged Justo with her murder. But without a body to examine, law enforcement was unclear on what exactly Juso had done to her. And unfortunately, it would be months before they figure it out. And by April 2021, Linda's murder was still a, what's termed as a no-body case. Even so, authorities needed to find Linda, especially because prosecutors hoped to make this a death penalty case, which would have really been difficult to do without human remains. But in the end, Justo folded and decided to accept a plea deal and forego a jury trial. Okay, so interestingly, this deal meant that the death penalty would be taken off the table. And Justo is allowed to attend educational classes and other programs while serving life in prison. So in exchange, though, for this offer, this plea deal, Justo had to give a full confession. And beyond that, he had to tell detectives where Linda's remains were. So Linda's family was okay with this deal because they wanted to bring Linda home. Like, that's the most wholesome, deserved fucking thing. Of course. And it also allowed them to avoid the pain and trauma of digging this up in in trial and Indian appeals. So Justo agreed to the plea requirements, and he sat down and told authorities what he did to Linda. Allegedly, after abducting her, he strangled her under his arm, and followed by choking her with the shoelaces. 
After she was subdued, he stabbed her in the neck with a knife to make sure that she was dead. Justo buried Linda behind the Harvest Drive business where the bra and stockings were discovered. And after that, he drove home and cleaned his car. So apparently after Justo got home, he flipped on the TV. And once he did that, he saw the news of the missing girl whose life he'd just taken. So during this news report, he learned that Linda lived really fucking close to him. In that moment, he realized he actually has to move Linda's remains because it was too close to where they both lived. He went to the burial site with a plastic tarp, duct tape, and other items. And he digs up Linda's body and moves her, accidentally leaving her stockings and bra behind. He takes her body to a wooded area near Dutchland, which is a water treatment supplier where he worked. And he digs a three and a half foot deep hole and he buries her body. He throws away the clothes and the shoes that he wore when he killed her and from the day he moved her body. And he also throws away the shovel and knife. He did everything alone and he never told anyone. Jesso never gave a motive for why he kidnapped and killed Linda. But that didn't stop Maddie and Patricia from theorizing as to what could have driven this fucking asshole to do something like this. Like, you know, why do you think he did it, Mom? And she was like, you know, spitballing theories. She's like, but one theory is that, you know, maybe he only got out of prison like 16 months prior to when he kidnapped her. So she was like, you know, maybe he was like not having any luck like on the dating scene or something, maybe he's like one of those guys that's like angry at the world and wants to take it out on a woman. And she's like, who better than like an Amish girl that's so vulnerable. Now, Justo had to deliver on the second part of this plea deal. He had to reveal the location of Linda's remains. So he described the location and at first decided to try to draw a map. And the cops tried to like follow this map, but it didn't work. They had no luck. When they couldn't find the burial site, they brought Justo to the scene. And this time, they found her. So when she was found, Linda's body was still dressed in her formal church clothes. An apron and sash were tied around her face. There was duct tape covering Linda's lips from cheek to cheek. And her hands were bound behind her back with shoelaces and zip ties. And her ankles were bound as well. So according to Penn Live a new source quote a thin rope connected her limbs and was wrapped around her neck an autopsy concluded that linda's cause of death was asphyxiation and the stab wound to her neck was a contributing factor there was blood in her esophagus which meant that linda was alive when she was stabbed justo was adamant that he never sexually assaulted linda but the autopsy results would beg to differ she suffered vaginal injuries, and remember, her bra was off. Why would her bra be off? I don't think that she took her bra off just to walk home. And why Justo denied sexually assaulting Linda, we're never going to know. We can only assume that it's probably because he doesn't want to be known as a sex offender in prison. On April 25th, Linda was laid to rest. Sparky Grace, who was the English man who rented from the Stoltzfuses, he wrote on Facebook that Linda's remains were at the front of the horse and buggy funeral procession. More than 70 buggies followed as Linda was taken to the Myers Cemetery burial grounds, which was located not far from where she was kidnapped. The procession did not follow the route that would take them by where she was kidnapped. And according to Sparky, the reason for the route change was because that location is history and we are celebrating Linda's future. So on July 23rd, 
Giusto's sentencing hearing was actually held. So prosecutors said that the plea deal was not really a compromise. It was made to bring Linda's body home, which was extremely important to the family. So they added that without Giusto's help, they would have never been able to find Linda's body and she wouldn't have been able to have this proper burial. And that was really important to her family. Giusto pleaded guilty to third degree murder, kidnapping, and a handful of misdemeanors. Judge David Ashworth sentenced Giusto to 71 years in prison with a minimum of 35 and a half years served before he could be considered for parole. And while handing down the sentence, Judge Ashworth said, Giusto smoker should never be given the chance to inflict pain and carnage on the community. So how does someone go from robbing businesses to killing an 18-year-old woman? Well, Giusto's attorneys will tell you that the answer was depression and alcoholism. <sighs> Bullshit. There's the, hella alcoholics who never kill. And hella depression people that don't kill. Yeah. Yes. At the sentencing hearing, the defense said he was in a, quote, dark place after growing up in an orphanage in Costa Rica and spending most of his adult life in prison. Just as life got darker when his sister died in jail and he was evicted from his residence. The defense also said that Justo was an alcoholic who often blacked out. They pointed out that he purchased alcohol before he went hunting for Amish girls and before he kidnapped Linda. The judge, David Ashworth, told Justo that alcoholism and depression were not defenses for murder. And he agreed. Right. But the Stoltzfus family statement to Justo was something many people have trouble understanding. Sam Blank, a representative for Linda's family, read the statement to the court. The family can and will forgive you, Justo. For some, it will come soon, but others, it may need to work on it for some time, and they may need to work on this daily. The Bible does not teach us, but we are to forgive. The Amish way is to forgive this perpetrator. And I was just like blown away by this. Uh, So we asked Maddie about this, who grew up in this area and was way more familiar with this culture than we were. I remember driving past an Amish grocery store where they have like a sign out front. And for the longest time, it said, pray for the Stoltzfus family. And then when Yusto was arrested, I drove by the sign again later, and it still said, pray for the Stoltzfus family and Yusto's too. How could someone like do that? How could someone forgive them? And I think that's like the other kind of like fascinating part about the Amish people too, is that idea of like how they react to these things and how they carry themselves. Before the hearing was over, Justo was given the chance to say something to the court. He stood in silence for a while and then put his hands over his face and said, quote, I can't undo anything that was done. Even as I say these words, I don't feel like it does any justice for the pain that I've caused. And he said Linda's life was just beginning and, quote, I robbed their family of time and memories. I robbed my own family of time and memories. And Justo said that he wanted to apologize to his parents and his brother. The media said that he came from a broken family, but he didn't. He said, quote, I was raised better than this. I knew better than this. There is no excuse. I was loved better than this. I'm sorry. And this is finally the time that he was right because he did rob that family of time and memories with Linda. I don't understand like what made his life so bad that he felt the need to steal someone like Linda from the world. What kind of piece of shit do you have to do to be to like take someone like that from this world? Someone that loved their family and was loved by their family and was such like a light in the world. Like, it's just like, how could you do that to her? 
God. So you have to imagine being on the periphery of such a chilling case. Um, Maddie, who was like an armchair detective and like her mom was also like loosely connected from a law enforcement perspective. You have to wonder like how else she's connected in ways she doesn't even realize. Maddie's detective mom, Patricia, has some words of advice for her daughter. Like my mom always kind of raised me to, I don't want to say think the worst of people because that sounds really bad. Like, but it's kind of like those things, like she has seen some awful stuff. Like she's like had some like dark conversations with people and like she knows that people are bad, but she also always kind of says like there are good people in the world and you, you don't want to like let certain things cloud your judgment of people, but just like be careful. Like it, she was like, you know, it very well could have been Victor Smoker that did it. And like we were working out right next to him in the gym like multiple days. So she's like, it can be really be anybody. Living in a small town and finding out that you aren't super close to the person responsible for heinous crime might be the best someone like Maddie can hope for. Because the truth of the matter is, everyone knows everyone in a small town. They're all connected to each other and they're all connected to the events that ultimately occur. Like Maddie's detective mom, Patricia said, it could really be anybody. So be careful, keep your eyes open, keep being an armchair detective, by the way, because the perpetrator could be the person shopping next to you at a grocery store, the person working out next to you at a gym, or the guy following you in a red fucking sedan. You will never know. Well, a huge thank you to Maddie for being our first degree for this episode. If you're listening out there and you have a story to tell, please email us hello at the first degree podcast.com. You can follow us on Instagram at the first degree at Alexis Linkletter at Billy Johnson at Jack Vanek. Join our Facebook group. We are talking true crime all the time and stick around tomorrow because we have a brand new episode of killing time right in your feeds. And remember only you can prevent serial killers and keep your friends close. But not that close. We can actually do it together. We can do it. Sources for this episode are Lancaster Online, Penn Live, WGAL, Patch, Discover Lancaster, Britannica, ABC News, Sparky Grace, and as always, our first three guest is always our largest source. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.